He's a former law enforcement officer. During his career, two of his friends, colleagues, and co-workers were killed in the line of duty. Their deaths had a tremendous impact on him. He's here to talk about the incidents that killed those officers and his life after. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. If you enjoy the Law Enforcement Today podcast, do me a big favor, tell a friend, and if you're able, if you got a few moments, leave an honest review and rating. But most importantly, tell a friend or two or three. Calling us from the Richmond, Virginia area, we have Dennis Prophet on the phone. Dennis is technically a former law enforcement officer. I'm using the term retired law enforcement officer. I'll explain why in a moment. Uh, Dennis, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Hey, Jay, thanks so much. It's great to be here. I really appreciate it. When I say former and retired, there's very few things I'll correct people on. When when anybody calls me ex-police, I always correct them. Ex means, in my opinion, you left a job under questionable circumstances. You're fired, forced to resign, whatever. Retired means either you left with a pension or you left early due to a line of duty injury, serving honorably, uh, by your own choice, and I think that covers you by saying you're you're retired. Yeah, that, I think that would be correct. Um, it just the way the retirement works here in Virginia, officially for retired, is about twenty five years with time and age. I left at twenty years of service, um, not technically with the age requirement to officially retire but I decided to move from the law enforcement profession. And there's a lot of reasons why, and we'll talk about those in a moment. 20 years is a long time. I, I want to say this right now. 20 years in policing is a, it's a lifetime. It is. And really, there was several factors. Um, for me, it was a profession that I loved. I'm a, I'm a second-generation officer, so, you know, it's like say it's in the blood or in the family, and it has, was a great profession, but it did exposure to trauma, um, you know, in the overall stress of the profession itself. And it came to a point where it had really taken its toll on me and had some lot of negative effects from that. And I'm, it ultimately made a decision that was, I felt was best for me, best for my family, best for my marriage, and decided to move on from the law enforcement profession. I get it. I really do. One of the things I say quite frequently is, no one that does a career in law enforcement escapes unscathed. You're going to have injuries, physical, mental, emotional scars. That's a given. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's 100% correct. And you're a little bit older. You're younger than me, but there have been tremendous transitions in law enforcement. But when I started as a rookie, it was very much the attitude of suck it up, buttercup. And I'm not saying that to be insulting. I'm saying <laughs> we had a term. A phrase that was used, we are police. That's how they said it in Baltimore. You have a job to do. Get out and do your blanking job. We all had our injuries. We all had 
things that really bothered us. And you know what I can tell you is I look back, Dennis, so many men and women I worked with came in and they were totally different people within five years. No, I definitely think that um, that is true for the majority of law enforcement. I know for me, um, definitely five years in, you start noticing a little bit of a difference. Um, and I noticed in my career, just the folks that I work with, particularly in supervision roles, I would see new officers come in, and I could actually see that change in officers when they start getting years on service. You see that transition and how that job affects them. Um, and it's it's a slow, and sometimes, unfortunately, you don't quite see it. Um, looking back, I think the, the picture is much clearer for me that I can see just how much of an effect it had on me over the years. When you're exposed to all the violence, all the trauma, and it doesn't matter if it's on purpose, trauma, or accidents, it takes its toll. Quite often, I was on scene where the last thing this young man saw was my face as he's taking his dying breath, and I think every one of those deaths took their toll on me. And there came a point where, you know, I we did our best not to bring it home. You always said, hey, I'm married. I don't want to, to, to burden my, my spouse with this, my kids, you know. And I was really good for a long time at mentally undressing. I'd always say, like, the soft body armor. When I peeled that off, I would go from cop J to dad J to husband J. And that worked well for a very long time until it didn't anymore. Um, and I would I would say very similar for myself, um, you you just kind of bury those incidents. You don't want to carry them them home, like you say. But when you bury it away, it's just it's just kind of tucking it in a corner. And I actually had experienced some times where there was incidents that were were bad um, that I would completely one hundred percent forget about. But then something would happen. I would see something or hear something, and for some reason, it would bring it out of that back of that memory where I have just you know completely forgotten about that incident. And then it's almost like you're re-experiencing or reliving that all over again but something would trigger that memory and it would come back and then you're kind of dealing with that again and trying to bury it all over again what rank were you when you left policing well when i left i was a corporal um and that was a change um that was actually through a a demotion from my previous rank um the highest rank i held was lieutenant but i left as a corporal so some things occurred and yes, we'll go into those details in a moment. I want to backtrack. What year did you start your law enforcement career? 2001. And what year did you leave? I left in 2020. So that, that's a long time. And the agencies, you started one agency and left your career at a different one, correct? I did. I actually worked for three separate agencies. The last agency was where I spent the majority of my time, about 15 years of, of my time there. Started Palatan as a road deputy out there and spent about three years there before I went to the city and spent two years in the city. And um, I ended up making a decision to come to Chesterfield where I grew up. And, you know, my father was a Chesterfield officer for a long, long time. So I felt I was kind of coming back home, making a first full circle and, and coming back home, if you will. And I came back to Chesterfield where I spent the majority of my career there. You got like almost 20 years on the job. And before I forget, Dennis, I want to thank you for your service. I really understand what it takes, not just on the toll it takes on you, but the toll it takes on your family as well. Are they all doing okay? 
right now, family's doing great. So thankfully, now, due to a lot of changes and, and some adjustments, our family is doing fantastic, really better than ever. And a lot of that had to do with your decision to say, I- I'm done. I- I'm going to leave this yes. career. Yes. Yes, sir. Even though Absolutely. it's one you loved. We're going to talk more about what... I hate the term trigger. It's overused. What caused the downhill slide for Dennis during his law enforcement career? It involves the death of two colleagues that were killed in line of duty. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We are talking with Dennis Prophet, former retired law enforcement officer. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today podcast network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Return conversation with Dennis Prophet on the Law Enforcement Today show. Dennis is a retired law enforcement officer. Served three agencies. The last one he served with, he left early after 20 years on the job. That was Chesterfield County Police Department. And uh, Dennis, there's really no way of sugarcutting this. And we have a lot of tough conversations on the Law Enforcement sure. Today show. But part of the reason why I wanted to do this show to begin with, when it was first launched in 2017 as a podcast only, was for law enforcement officers, their family members, to talk about the stigma, to talk about things that that no one talks about, and then you know, radio picked it up, and it, it, more and more people want to know uh, what's going on, and this is your chance to talk about it. Unfortunately, in your career, you had two line of duty deaths that you had to deal with. These were colleagues, they were friends, and they had tremendous negative impact on you. Combining that with all the trauma you experienced, let's talk about the very first one. Sure. Um, the, the first one would be, you know, Officer Gary Bureau. Um, we both came to Chesterfield Police Department um, at the same time, and we were actually in a, in a program for pre-certified officers to come to Chesterfield and attend a, if you will, an abbreviated academy since we have already been police officers before. So we were in that academy together. Gary was originally from NYPD, um, and we, you know, it's a small academy group. I think there was eight of us in that class, small group. But, you know, I mean, we hit it off right off the bat. He's just a great guy, you know, again, former NYPD. And, you know, me as, as an officer always thought very, very highly of, of the folks that serve on that agency and, and what they deal with on a daily basis. So, you know, we really hit it off outstanding. Um, and we graduated, we finished up, and it was um, May 4th, and it was only shortly after we had finished that pre-certified academy that I got the phone call in the middle of the night, um, probably a little after 2 a.m., 
that Gary had responded to a domestic, and he had, he and his partner had both been shot. Um, Gary did not survive. His partner, fortunately, did survive and actually was responsible for um, shooting and killing the, the suspect in that incident. But um, that was the call I received in the middle of the night, um, and it really kind of struck hard and kind of brought home a lot of things uh, about the you know, dangers of the job and, yeah. and just the, the sheer fact of my friend gone. How old was Gary when he was killed? Gary was 34, I believe. Still a very young man. One of the things I I know you're going to understand this, most people don't really comprehend the amount of danger there is on domestic disturbance calls. It could just be, look, we had calls every Friday. It was the same family. They would call because so-and-so would be drinking and start a family fight. And you, most of the time, you get them settled down, you get them separated, you get them calmed down. It's, it's just a lot of words, a lot of yelling, a lot of drunkenness, not any violence. However, from time to time, those things, things can explode and become extremely violent. So when you're walking into a domestic, you just don't ever know what you could be coming into. There's, you know, I remember so many domestics where they sound so aggravated as you're responding to it. It sounds like it's it's going to be a really bad situation and you get there and it's not so much and then other ones sound like they're not going to be very much to deal with and when you arrive on scene the next thing you know you're struggling with a suspect or fighting with a suspect or there's a weapon involved so it's just such an unknown factor when you're dealing with domestics i have two friends then then both from different agencies one was from my own agency in, in baltimore and he was convinced he would go his career and never have to shoot anybody and he was on the street within months and and the guy attacked him on a domestic disturbance call with a knife and he wound up having to shoot the guy and another one was a, a young female officer in a small agency in florida both have been on the show before uh, and it was seen like a routine call and she was shot several times with an sks rifle and almost killed uh, so you can you really don't know what you're getting is what I'm getting at. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Now the incident with Gary and his partner. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What happened? Sure. Um, it started off as a, a domestic, um, and from what I understand, um, there were some comments of the call that um, that the individual did have a firearm, but he didn't have it out. Um, but it sounded like it was an argument, your your domestic argument. And Gary and his partner arrived on scene. And when they came into the house, um, they went straight to the bedroom where the suspect was. Um, and one of the first things they asked him, and from what I'm understanding from the reports from the, the incident, what happened is that he was facing away from them. And one of the first things they asked is, you know, where's your firearm? Where Where's you know, trying to get an idea of, of where the fire might be. And the suspect immediately turned around and opened fire on both of them. So they um, really didn't have a chance. It was a surprise attack. Correct. Gary um, was struck immediately and, and, and died right away. The other officer drew his firearm and exchanged gunfire with the suspect, um, both of them striking each other. Um, his... Um, partner officer was was hit four times i believe and he actually was struck in the hand where he lost his firearm during the gunfight suspect was still alive and he actually had to go physically attack that suspect and wrestle his gun away from him and then detain him for before other officers arrived and then the suspect eventually died from his injuries 
one of the things, and, I, and I've been guilty of this myself, you know, working in Baltimore and Richmond, by the way, beautiful city. I love Richmond, Virginia. I went to high school in <laughs> Richmond, Virginia uh, in that area. I, I just love the area. But you're not surprised when there's lots of violence. And you, you think when you go into the counties, like Chesterfield County, you're thinking, oh, okay, it's going to be a little bit of a break from that. But that wasn't the case for you all at all. It was not, um, and I think sometimes folks think not quite being in the city that, sure, it's going to be a little lighter on the activity, but that's just not the case. In particular, Chesterfield backs right up to the city, so a lot of your um, you know, a lot of your, your crime situations will spill over into the adjoining jurisdictions, and Chesterfield is, is one of those, um, and it's, it's pretty, it can be active at times. Yeah, I'm as guilty as the next person. When I was a young police, and there were times where I thought, man, those guys in the county. When I say guys, that means men and women. They have it easy. <laughs> you know, they got a cake. They got, we used to joke, the, the department gives them their socks, their underwear. They have take-home cars, and they're not dodging bullets all day. Well, the truth is, they were too. And I just didn't, you know, I was so self-centered, Dennis. All I knew was what I was going through. Sure, sure. You know, my coworkers as well. And we, we, we can talk about officers left Baltimore, went to Prince George's County, Maryland, and were killed, went to Norfolk, Virginia, that were killed in the line of duty. When we return to our conversation with Dennis Proffitt, we're going to talk about another line of duty death from a colleague, coworker, how it impacted him. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. Our conversation with Dennis Prophet on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Dennis is a retired law enforcement officer from Chesterfield County, Virginia, which is outside of Richmond, Virginia. And unfortunately, you went through your career where there, I know there are many others that were severely injured, uh, but you went through your career where you had two friends, two colleagues, two co-workers, kid on line of duty. We talked about Gary Burrow in the first one. The second one, tell us the details about that. Sure, and that one, um, that's Robbie Green, and that was, he's with Powhatan County Sheriff's Office, and, you know, Robbie and I worked together, of course, where I started my career, and, and again, just another, just a fantastic individual. I know everybody always says that about everybody, but it's, it's the heart of this officer, this gentleman, Robbie Green, was was immense, just his dedication to that county and that agency. Um and I always admired that from him. And it was after I came to Chesterfield, of course, this was six months after Gary had been shot and killed. Um, and I took a little time off of work, but it was September of the same year. 
and there was a pursuit in Powhatan County. I heard it over the radio as they notified that state was in a pursuit in Powhatan in case it was to come to the, our county. And as I was leaving actually our lockup facility and I head home for the night, I got a phone call from a good friend of mine from Powhatan and let me know that Robbie had been in that pursuit. And during the pursuit, um, his vehicle left the roadway and had crashed and he was killed in the crash. Both of these are tremendous gut punches. Uh, the only thing I can describe. Uh, I, yeah. I remember working for the 12 one shift and I got the news that a former coworker, a former squad member that uh, was in my first squad as a sergeant was killed in line of duty. And it was as if someone hit me in a solar plexus with a sledgehammer. I took a while to get my breath back. It, it took a while to respond. The state of shock was, I, I can't believe this happened. Did you go through that as well? I did. It's, I mean, it truly, it's, it's something you just really can't describe. It is that, that gut punch. Um, and particularly following six months of the last one, you know, I really, I know for sure I really hadn't reconciled that incident and everything surrounding that. And then for this one to follow up so co- closely, uh, it was just, you know, I was just at a loss, um, just a, a numbness and, you know, a depression. And that's when really things really made a negative turn for me, um, emotional on how I was dealing with just everything in general. One of the things is we were required to do death notifications in person. Unless, of course, you were a police officer, then they didn't have a problem paying the phone and calling you. Right, right. Um, I, I say that because we didn't treat our citizens like that, but we treated our police like that all the time. Right. It's it's not a good phone call. Of course, it's not a good phone call, but it, it's just, um, you know, how you say that over the phone and how you receive that over the phone, it's just, it's just difficult. Um, and I know for me, it's, you, you're stuck for a moment of, of what do I do? How do I even process this? Um, you know, what can you do? And there's really nothing. It's a helplessness. It really is. It's a helplessness. There's not a logical thought process that goes through this. And I know a lot of people want things to make sense chronologically. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. Then I began to do that. And I began to do this. And I deteriorated. And all these things. And it doesn't quite work that way. It's not a linear thing. But I do remember at some point, you know, I used to think, I know this sounds stupid. I used to think this nothing bad will ever happen to me. We all walked around with that mindset. Otherwise, we'd never leave the squad car. We'd never leave the station. If we really thought about what bad stuff could happen, we we never would have done our job. So it's kind of a self-protection thing. But I thought, hey, this bad stuff never happened to me because you know I'm just really good at what I do. I've got really good coworkers. And then you know the problem with that is some really good police that I knew that had really good coworkers were killed. And it just didn't make sense anymore. Yes. I I struggled with that. Uh, Again, and I I agree that we all have that uh, mentality. Again, you're you're not going to get out to You're not going to respond to those um, high-stress incidents. Um, But then with those two deaths, those are two folks that are pretty close to me that I thought were equally good, if not better officers than me. And they were taken. And it brings in some of that reality and brings in some of that stress. Um, I do remember, you know, after Gary's incident that, you know, there was a, there was for a while I was, it was in my mind more than it should have been. I, there was a lot of concern. And I was 
made sure to get back to work, and I was making myself make as many stops as I could go, as many calls as I could to kind of force myself to not have that in my mind, if you would, to have not have that, that, that fear in the back of your mind of, of what can happen. Um, and it creates a lot of stress if you, if you start having that, um, that concern constantly throughout your shift. It's almost a way of inoculating yourself from the potential what yeah. can happen. And and also it's like, I'm not going to acknowledge, you hit a very crucial word. I'm not going to acknowledge the fear. And I'm almost going to be like Superman when I go and do my job. I'll be super cop. And I'm going to do everything the right way. And I'm going to be the best of the best. And I'm, I'm going to be a sterling example of how you should behave as a police officer. Yes. Yes. Um, that's very accurate. Um, I think for me too is not acknowledging that fear. The uh, the other part of it was, is it true? I mean, th- there is some fear there because that's what makes us cautious. That's what makes us take all this off to safety measures because there is, is some fear of what can happen. But you, you also, for me, you don't want to acknowledge that fear, and then you, it, it begins to mess with you mentally. That you know that you're you're fighting that that natural fear you you should have to keep yourself safe, but it's also creating stress because you're trying to tell yourself i'm not afraid i'm not afraid and you're forcing forcing that issue if you will one of the negative side effects of of these sorts of exposure to lots and lots of trauma and the critical instance you went through is that people start becoming for lack of better words unmanageable they start developing anger issues and anger management becomes a real issue did that happen to you uh, Jay, that was a huge issue for me, um, and I think the combination of, of the trauma, the combination of some complicated grief from those losses really uh, affected my demeanor, my mood, um, and, I, and I tell folks when they, they ask me you know, about this and we discuss it, and the best way I can explain it is I was just non-functioning. At work, I was functioning fine. I was laughing, joking, happy just upbeat and nobody would think anything different. I was the the guy joking in the room constantly having a good time. But as soon as I got home, I was non-functioning. Um, I wasn't talking. I was avoiding everybody. If I was talking, it was an argument, um, arguing over the smallest things. I had, you know, what I call a, a flashpoint, um, the smallest thing set back in a day, which most people would, uh, not be such a big issue for me. It would completely ruin my entire day. And it didn't take much for my anger to shoot up, you know, substantially. And I call it that, that low flashpoint, just the, the littlest thing would make me so angry at everything and everybody, everybody around me walked on eggshells uh, because they're afraid of what they're going to say or what's going to set me off. And it just progressively got worse and I couldn't manage it. I couldn't manage it at home. Um, I started again, like as I mentioned, I started avoiding home. I started avoiding my family, and it led to just some really poor coping mechanisms. Um, and unfortunately, um, at that time, this was my first marriage, and it, it's difficult to talk about. I got to where I was avoiding home and staying away from home, and that led into um, going into again the bad coping mechanisms and. I ended up 
you know, stepping outside of my marriage. Um, On that note, let's take a short break. We are talking with Dennis Prophet. He is a retired law enforcement officer. We're talking about, and I hate this term, post-traumatic stress disorder. I hate the D part, the disorder. We're talking about post-traumatic stress, what he went through, a lot of duty deaths that really negatively impacted him and his family life. We're going to take a short break. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. Return conversation with Dennis Prophet on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Dennis is a retired law enforcement officer uh, doing 20 years and three agencies and uh, post-traumatic stress got to him and created tremendous problems. And for many reasons, which he'll explain, he decided to walk away from it all. Before we the break, we started talking about your journey and, and how life began to change for you after the deaths of two of your friends and coworkers. And I know there's a lot more to it, but, but for time purposes, we can't talk about all that. Sure. One of the things you said that really struck and resonated with me was, look, when I was at work, I was good. I was really good. But when I got home, I was really bad. When I have time where my mind is not occupied, even today, I call it the Sunday blues. Things start to change. I had to stay busy. When I was at work, it became a huge coping skill. I knew what my job was. I knew what my roles was. I knew where I fit in with my comrades and colleagues. I knew all of it. And yeah, I kind of liked the adrenaline rush of it. I kind of got addicted to it. But man, when I got home, I couldn't unwind and I was just, everything set me off. Yes. Um, And I experienced much of the same. Um, And, you know, before we went to break, and I mentioned that the bad coping mechanisms came in. And unfortunately, with the avoidance and me avoiding family and home, it led to my infidelity, um, and which is something that's difficult to talk about. It's not something I'm proud of, but it is something that occurred. And And unfortunately, it's all too common. It's not not rare. Correct. Correct. It it is. It is, unfortunately, very common in the law enforcement profession. Um, When it's happening to you, you think you're the only one dealing with it, and that's just not the case. Um, What made it even worse for me coming down the road is is I was able to make a recovery from that. My my marriage did not survive in that one. Um, But I was able to make a somewhat of a recovery um working still still work was always functioning fine um and i you know was at this point living on my own work i was excelling i mean i got a promotion to detective i got a promotion to sergeant i got a promotion to lieutenant and and things seemed to be steaming along fine and then as a lieutenant i had gone to midnight shift and all the same, all the same demons, if you will, that were tucked back away started to raise up again. Um, and I struggled to keep that away. And unfortunately, you know, it just continued to compound and, and, and pull at me with the stress. Um, at this time, I had actually met my current wife and we had started dating. And, and that lasted for a while as I was really worried about getting close to somebody. Um, but we stayed together. We ended up getting married. Um, 
and things were great. We have a blended family with, with five children, my three, her two. Um, but I began to struggle with those demons again. And that's when I took a significant downturn, um, even from the first time of completely, again, not functioning, not being able to speak to anyone, not being able to cope with really anything. And, and my anger was, was even worse. It was a, a, a terrible spot. Um, now, I did go and start speaking to a psychologist, but unfortunately, I know for a lot of police officers, it's difficult to talk about these things because you feel it's a weakness. And even with a psychologist, I didn't begin to open up about everything that was going on. I still kept everything guarded. And what that did was just made me continue to spiral downward. And then yet again, um, I found myself avoiding home, avoiding my marriage, avoiding my family. And yet again, I fell into infidelity for a second go around. Um, this time around, it became an internal affairs investigation. And without going into you know, a whole lot of details of internal affairs investigation, I'm on administrative leave for over a month. And the result of that investigation, because of my position as a lieutenant, and the other party was another member of the department, a junior member, it was deemed that I was going to take a demotion back down to corporal. Um, and, and that was significant. So at that time, yeah, I'm that's facing a, huge, a demotion. That's a huge yeah. thing to overcome. I, I, I'll be honest with you. And I'll, before people get judgmental, and it's very easy to do, <laughs> I had my issues. I really struggled for a long time. Infidelity was not one of my issues. However, all the other coping skills are ways of trying to deal with these things I went through. And I used to sit in judgment of those who did things differently. I don't do that anymore. And for anyone who's thinking that, I want them to understand very quickly. And there's really no nice way of putting this. And I'll, I'll, I'll shorten it. When things get really bad with post-traumatic stress, quite often law enforcement officers will look for any kind of adrenaline rush they can, anything to get themselves out of themselves. And infidelity becomes an issue. Substance abuse becomes an issue. Anger becomes an issue. Isolation becomes a huge issue from family and loved ones. So I look at it as symptoms of, a, and here's a term, disorder. But I look at it as symptoms of an injury that are predictable, that are common, and they're not unique. Yes, um, and and I appreciate you for for going into and explaining some of that, and that's I think gets lost in the translation sometimes. But that's exactly what I was resorting to: is looking for something that brings brings a high, brings me to a, to a high point, like I feel when I'm at work, um, and it got me to separate from all the other things that I could not deal with, um, and it was an escape, um, much as alcohol or like you say um, narcotics or something like that, or escape for somebody else. It was the escape for me. Um, and, you know, at that point, things had gotten really bad. I did return to work um, as a corporal. Um, it was a difficult situation to walk into a roll call from being going from commanding a roll call to walking in as an officer to roll call. It was, was difficult. Um, I would say part of what helped me get through that was I did have some great support from the officers on the department that had worked for me, that had reached out a lot, had reached out to me with encouragement. Um, I, I fortunately, which is, seems to be an anomaly today, um, the current chief of police that was there that would actually, you know, 
signed the final um, disposition um, was very encouraging for me. Um, he spoke to me and encouraged me of, of being able to come back and there's no judgment and, you know, and, and being able to get myself back to where I was. And that was encouraging, but um, the, the, it still was difficult. And probably a few weeks into being back on duty, I, I felt that I could not recover and that there was not going to be that I had let everybody down that what I had done was, was unforgivable. Uh, I felt I was on the, the verge that my marriage was gone. My family was hurt. My career was severely damaged. And then you get into this really, really dark hole where you just don't see any light. You just don't see any recovery. You feel that you're completely damaged and you have ruined everything around you. And that's a tremendously terrible place to be. And unfortunately, that's when the suicidal ideology starts to come in. And that's um, what happens. It's a, it's a triad. Uh, when you have disciplinary problems at work, relationship issues, post-traumatic stress issues, quite often there's substance abuse or other issues. And what's compounding all that is this deep sense of shame. Were you ashamed of where you got to in your life? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And I still, with, you know, with the day to this day, there's, there's points where I um, struggle with that um, over what happened. But I think by me talking about it and, and owning it and and making a recovery is how I defeat that. Um, but I had a, a lot of shame and, uh, you know, and I'll tell you, I had made the plan. I had planned that I was going to end my life, that everybody around me was better with me being gone. Um, I had, I had actually written a note. Um, I was going to write several. There's just too many writers, just too many people. And I, and I wrote one, um, and I had planned on how this was going to go. Um, and I wanted to put some things in place to for my family when I left, and that was just the mindset that that was going to be um, better all the way around. And I, um, and I'm, for one, I'm so glad you did not go through with it. Obviously, you made some really tough choices, but your life is, is much better today. We're almost out of time. How would you describe where you're at today? Um, it's, today, I'm, I'm in, a, in a great place, and, and a lot of that was would, would come from, um, of all people, my wife who as much as I put her through, she refused to give up on me. Um, she refused to give up on me. Um, we attended a, a, a service that she, a church service here that she encouraged for me. And there was a turning point there that I did not have to live with this shame. I did not have to live with these things on my shoulder. And it made a huge turning point for me and getting out of the law enforcement profession has taken a tremendous amount of stress off me and you know my quality of life has bet it has tenfold one thing is I, I tell people when i got hurt and retired i didn't know what to do myself and i really really went through some dark days but it's one of the best things ever the best worst day of my life was the day i retired from the police department where can people get in touch with you for more information or if you can help with speaking or whatever it might be uh, well, the best way to get hold of me really the only social media i have right now is, is linkedin but i am on linkedin um, and that's a best, a great way to message me or, or get in contact with me and anybody on anything to do with post-traumatic stress injury or, um, emotional wellness, um, resiliency, things like that. I'm, I'm working a lot with those things. So that, well, that's Dennis, thanks so much for on. telling your story and being guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Jay. I really do appreciate it. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the law enforcement today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week 
and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Thank you.